Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. This is a spiritual community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth and meaning. And we're very glad you're here. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in everyone. And so one of the ways that we greet the divine on a Sunday morning is turning to the people around us and welcoming them here. Please say with me the words by which we light the chalice, which is the symbol of our faith. We light the fire of truth and ask to be clear, wise, and humble enough to admit when we don't know. We kindle the warmth of community and ask for open-heartedness and patience. We are grateful to the spirit of life and ask to learn the secret to loving and being loved. For our call to worship this morning, we have the words of Thich Nhat Hanh, a Vietnamese Buddhist monk and peace activist, founder of the Plum Village tradition. Water flows from high in the mountains. Water runs deep in the earth. Miraculously, water comes to us and sustains all life. Water and sun green these plants. When the rain of compassion falls, even a desert becomes an immense green ocean. This congregation wrote its own mission. We revisit it every seven years to see if it still describes how we would like to move into the future. This is one that was the iteration from a couple of years ago. We are striving to live into it. We say it together every Sunday. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. One of the ways that we build the beloved community is become aware, is to become aware of the culture in which we live. For some reason, in our culture, the maternal mortality rate is higher among people of color brown and black folks in our culture, um, regardless of socioeconomic background or class. Huh, why is that? One of the reasons is that it is a, a belief apparently in our culture that people who are brown and black do not feel pain in the same way that people who have a European background do. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. And yet there it is, because you can see it in the statistics. I'm not asking those of us who identify as white to feel guilty. I'm asking us to feel curious. You didn't do this. But if you notice it, even just noticing it, when we all notice it together, it loses some of its power and has a presence, has the possibility of changing. Let us enter together into an attitude of prayer and meditation where we can speak to God or listen to God as we understand God or listen to our inner wisdom, speak our gratitude or ask for clarity. In this silence, may we feel ourselves held in the arms of love. In this congregation, tiny noises from children and the sounds of life count as part of the silence as we enter the wise 
silence together. I'm going to tell you a map of what I'm, where I'm going today, and that is we're going to start with um, talking about being present with somebody who's suffering. Being present is the best thing to do. I'm going to go to the book of Job, and I'll recap it for those of y'all who missed Sunday school or for whom it's been too long. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about how Christians have interpreted the book of Job, which is in the Hebrew scriptures, and how that has shaped the way that um, people around the world deal with those who are suffering. And, um, and I'll go from there to how to comfort people and how not to. 
So I'm going to start by reminding you about the plot of this book, which is the oldest book, as far as we can tell, in the Hebrew Scriptures, which means it's the oldest book we have, which means it's probably about 4,000 years old and started as a, an oral tradition. The poetry is beautiful, and the arguments which are made in there could be made from any pulpit Jewish, Christian, whatever, in uh, America today, and you would, uh, you would recognize these arguments. Okay, so why are there arguments? The opening scene is that God is in the heavens and Satan comes strolling by. And God says, what you been doing? And Satan says, just walking around. And God says, I've been looking at my servant Job there. He loves me so much, so faithful. And Satan goes, Sure, he loves you. I mean, look, you've got 10 children. They all get along. They have parties at each other's houses. You're healthy. You're the richest guy in the East. Everything's going well. You've got cattle. You've got sheep. You've got land. And what's, why would he not love you? And Satan, whose name means the accuser, like the prosecuting attorney, Satan says, I bet he wouldn't love you so much if you took all that away. Now, here's where God doesn't look so good. God says, okay, do it. Let's see. So Job's children get killed. The cattle get stolen. The land burns up. His health goes away. And he starts yelling about it to God. Um... He does look up, like the song said to do. He looked up with his fist like this. Why is this happening to me? I demand an answer. I am a righteous person. I'm a good person. I don't deserve this. He hears nothing. And three or four of his friends come. There's a little argument about it because biblical scholars. But uh, let's just say three friends come. And they... They do the right thing for the first week. They just sit with him quietly and witness his situation. Keep him company. The problem starts after that where they start talking. And Job's comforters, as they are known, say every single thing which you have heard anyone say about suffering or to someone who is suffering. Really, you would recognize all of their arguments, which boil down to this. Uh, Job, you're saying you're a good man. You don't deserve this, but nobody's really good. So surely you've done something. One of y'all sent me um, something on Facebook after the Calvinist sermon, where I talked last Sunday about how they believe everybody's totally depraved in their nature. And um, they sent me the Facebook story of a Calvinist dog who, um, when his master says, good dog, he goes, there are no good dogs. (laughs) They say, no one is really good, Job. You must have done something. Or maybe your children did something. Now, you wouldn't think that that would be effective. But in South Carolina, there was a man in my congregation who was a gay man, and his father told him that his father had gotten cancer because he was gay. God was punishing him for, I I can't follow the logic. 
Maybe your children did bad things. And they said, Job, uh, maybe your, your faith is being tested. Maybe God is testing your faith. Job said, nothing wrong with my faith. My faith is great. I'm not turning my back on God. I'm just yelling and uh, demanding an answer because I deserve an answer because I'm a righteous man. And they say, Job, really, even saying you're a righteous man is kind of a sin. And even yelling at God, I mean, you shouldn't be yelling at God, demanding answers like you could demand anything from God. I mean, God is God and you shouldn't be doing this. And Job's like, I have a perfect right to do this. I am a good person and I have never done anything wrong. And he just makes the friends crazy because he keeps yelling at them for 37 chapters. <laughs> so they'll say their thing and Job says, no, that thing doesn't wash. And then they'll say another thing or the same thing over again, which would what it feels like after about chapter 27. Um, same thing. You must have done something. Your children must have done something. Or maybe God is testing you. Or maybe um, it's ineffable and God is just doing what God does. And uh, you just have to suffer um, if you want to be a good boy. They do not say two things, which I have also heard as the uh, cultures of the East have come West, then and I hear these in um, New Age forums. Uh, maybe it's karma and you did something in a former life that you're now being punished for. Uh, they don't bring that up because that's another culture. And they also don't say, this is my favorite thing, uh, about from the New Age. Uh, I wonder why you want to attract this kind of suffering into your life. Okay, that violates my number one rule about things to say to explain evil. Which is, if you cannot say it in, with a straight face and a good heart in the middle of a refugee camp in Sierra Leone to a child who is starving, don't say it. Right? I mean, how hard is that? So the words of Job's comforters are familiar to us, and Job continues to object and demand an answer. And finally, he gets an answer of sorts when the Lord comes down and speaks. And the first words, I think, are refreshing out of the Lord's mouth are, Who are you who obscure my plans with words without knowledge? In other words, all those things you said, comforters, are ignorant. Don't even. Uh uh. You should have stayed quiet like you were the first week. And then God goes on to roll out creation credentials. Uh, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand who marked off its dimensions. Surely you know, which I love that God is sarcastic, makes me feel like family. <laughs> and then God goes on to say, are you friends with the water spurting whale? 
Do you know where the, where the storehouses of the snow are and how to open their doors? It's very poetic, very beautiful, but not an answer. Nowhere is there an admission from the voice from the storm. Uh, well, uh, Satan challenged me to uh, let everything bad happen to you, and uh, so I did. Now, this is why God doesn't look very good in this book. But I like the message. It's very um, relaxing, the message that we're all wrong about everything. You're wrong about everything, so just relax. But people can't live with that, though. They want a, a God who's all good, or they want a God who's all controlling, like God is in control. Oh, yeah? Um, in the play, J.B., which is Archibald McLeish's retelling of the story of Job, it was uh, from the 50s, Job's wife at the end puts it very succinctly in one sentence. If God is God, he is not good. If God is good, he is not God. So uh, people like Rabbi Kushner, who writes the book, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People, he chooses the God is good, but not in control argument. Other people who choose the God in control argument get really messed up with this God who does these terrible things or lets them happen. Christians say, or people, the, the, uh, the phrase is, oh, you have the patience of Job. They haven't read the book. <laughs> Dead giveaway. If you read the actual book, Job doesn't have that much patience. Job's mad the whole time, wrestling, striving, demanding, not patient. But they make a connection between Job suffering the will of God, because it was the will of God that he suffer uh, in, the, in the faith story. With, then they, they expand this to Jesus, who also suffered willingly the will of God, the violence that Jesus suffered in Christianity's faith story. Um, and here's where it gets a little strange, because Jesus was killed by the church, state, empire people. But Christianity didn't tell the story like like our prophet was killed by the violence of the state. In which case, Christianity would be all about fighting for justice and fighting against the violence of the state. But no, they very quickly, knuckling under to empire, I think, made it an intimate violence. No, his father did this to him. His father had a will that Jesus be tortured and die. This is intimate family violence that you believe somehow the story goes in churchianity. I'm, I'm not saying this is actual Christianity, but this is churchianity the way it's taught in many places around the globe. Um, the father needed blood to forgive sins and so tortured and killed his only son or allowed that so that he could forgive. Okay. Number one. I'm a logical person. So I go, all right, but if this is God, surely he could just say, hey, I'm going to forgive. And just do it. Why the weird blood thing? 
And why his own child? This, again, doesn't look good. Also, um, churchianity teaches that Jesus paid for your sins or that God forgives your sins. All right. Those are two different things. Say I owe you a bunch of money. We'll say like $1,000. I owe you $1,000. And you go, your debt's been paid for because somebody else gave me 1000 on your behalf. I go, oh man, that's wonderful. It's been paid for. Number two scenario, your debt's been forgiven because I don't really need that money. That's forgiven. See, two different things. But they teach them like they're the same. So Jesus had to die. I don't know. As I said, it doesn't make sense. I spent many, many years learning Christianity and following it all the way to the very end at Princeton Theological Seminary. And I could not grasp the logic of it to the very end. I would lose my faith like once every six months and I would lie in my dorm room, in my cemetery dorm room, and I would go, it doesn't make sense. How? And the students would practice on me. You know, they'd, they'd come one by one and hold my hand and they'd go, okay, all right, Nick, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I'd be like, no, I'm a pretty good person. I'm pretty sure I haven't really sinned that much. And they'd go, no, you're a miserable wretch. That's because Presbyterian. I'd be like, I really don't. Uh, anyway, now I'm Unitarian. Thank the good Lord or whoever. <laughs> so um, part of the problem in this is that when you have a faith that teaches that fathers have their reasons for doing violence to their children, you have children who are suffering violence in the family and wives who are suffering violence in the family and sometimes uh, men who are suffering violence in the family and the whole faith story undergirds that violence by giving it a spiritual meaning. Like, you need to suffer like Job. You need to be patient and willing like Jesus. And that's your way to be a good girl or a good boy. You have to suffer this and you have to give it some spiritual meaning. You have to say, God is testing me. Instead of saying, this stinks. Nobody should be hitting me. No, no, you should suffer willingly. And that will make you a more righteous person, a stronger person. That'll make you a deeper person. God is testing you. This makes the violence an intimate violence instead of state violence. Changes, shifts the whole narrative to a family violence. Has its reasons. You're suffering because God has chosen you to suffer. It has a meaning. It's redemptive. Suffering is... Why? What's redemptive about suffering? That's really not... It doesn't make sense. Now, Carl Jung tried to make it make sense. He uh, was, as you know, a Swiss psychologist and physician. And he said that Jesus' death was God's answer to Job. That finally, 2,000 years later, God said, okay, here I come, I'm going to suffer too. And that's my answer to Job. But this is not widely taught, and I'm not sure that it should be. But what is widely taught is that God has a reason. Um... The father did violence to his child to pay for your badness. And submission to the violence is read as love and held up as virtue. And even the violence is read as love, as a teacher's love. Like, you're getting lessons. You're getting whatever. I don't have patience with it. But what happens when you transubstantiate violent realities into spiritual teachings is people say, 
things to those who are suffering. Um, Say a parent has just lost their child. And people will say, God has a purpose in this. He sends pain to make us strong. You may not feel it now, but you will learn to give thanks for this experience because through it, God will strengthen your faith. Come on now. Why would God, a loving God, torture you in order to comfort you? Our forebear, William Ellery Channing, in the Baltimore Sermon of 1819, when he was uh, bringing out, presenting Unitarian Christianity, what he said was, which one of us would torture one of our children in order to bring them closer to us? Which one of us would, would send suffering to our child in order to teach them lessons? I mean, suffering's going to come to your child because that's life. But then you're there to comfort them. You don't send the suffering. Unless you're one of those parents that does and says, spare the rod, spoiled child. I'm going to give this child some pain and then this child will learn. I have to say, I was in a, um, a bathroom at Bucky's, which is an event in itself, Bucky. And there was this mom in there just walloping on her three-year-old, little boy. Um, and you know, what are you going to say? Uh, I didn't know what to say, so I just said, you know, studies show that spanking your kid makes him gay. I'm not proud of that because it was a lie. <laughs> I just couldn't think of anything else at the moment. But I know she felt like she was being a loving mother, frustrated, loving mother. So when you reframe tragedy as being a spiritual trial, um, you go astray. You're not attracting suffering into your life. You're not suffering because God is sending suffering on you. So when you comfort someone, what's good to say is nothing. Just sit, presence, your presence is good. Say, tell me how you're doing. Tell me about you if you feel like it. You don't uh, explain their suffering to them. That's nasty. You don't say, oh, well, (laughs) guess you'll have to change your diet now. No. You don't say, oh, man, you should have been exercising this whole time. Uh, 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 Not the time. Not the time. And you don't uh, compare your suffering to theirs. Because even if you've gone through exactly the same thing, you did not have exactly the same experience. That they're having. What you do is you say nothing or you listen. I'm here if you want to talk. And you don't say something like, tell me what you've learned from this experience. Because if they have the strength, they will throw a punch. Um, y'all, many of y'all know Derek Howard, and I love him. And he um, went through a similar thing to what I went through when I had... Uh, four hip replacements, one every six weeks, a couple of years ago. And 
One of the replacements is just spacers. They put spacers covered in antibiotic gel in there, and you, have, you live with that for six weeks, and then you have the real last one. Anyway, spacers hurt, and I knew he had gone through the same thing. And I reached out to him, and I said, Derek, you're about six months ahead of me. Um, will you please tell me what happens next? And he was very kind. We, I called him my scout. He was scouting on ahead. And, but I reached out to him and said, what was it like for you? And he told me, he said, oh, spacers stink. I'm afraid there were some cuss words, um, not really from him, just from me, about them. And, um, but it meant a lot to have that solidarity. So you don't compare your experience to theirs. You don't tell them what happened to you one time unless they ask you. Does this make sense? Many of you all have suffered and many of you all have been around people who are suffering and you know some of the things that people say. There was uh, one of my wonderful uh, mentors was a preacher named William Sloan Coffin who was in New York and he lost a child. He didn't lose him, the child died. That's another weird way of saying things. Um, The child died. And someone came through the line at the child's funeral and said, Oh, Dr. Coffin, really, it's best that this kind of thing happened to you because you know exactly how to handle it and you know how to interpret this. To which Dr. Coffin said, Go to hell. (laughs) Job's comforter said all kinds of dumb things, but Job did not suffer patiently. Jesus had comforters. There was no comfort for what was happening to him. Tragedy does not have a spiritual meaning necessarily. I mean, you can give it one if it makes you feel better, but don't give other people's tragedies spiritual meaning for them. Bad things just happen. And that's what we are for, for each other, to be a presence and to be love, and to do something useful if that's what's wanted, and to listen if that's what's wanted. And may we all be a light to those who are suffering. Please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts, until we are together again. Sing with me if you like. Remember the way of the wind and breathe and blow. Remember the way of the fire and sparkle and glitter and glow. Remember the way of the water and ebb and flow. Remember the way of the earth and grow. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.